is Express FM. Supported by Portsmouth College. We are passionately pumping. Begins look forward, work together to create a Portsmouth football club that we can all be proud to be associated with. It's a tough league. It will take a lot to get out of it. There's some big teams here and I feel like with what the gaffer told me, we can do that here. I've always wanted to play for Portsmouth. Every time I put the shirt on, I tried to play with pride. I tried to give 110%. The football club is the hub of the city. When things are going well, it's a fantastic place to be and with that comes a pressure of performing to the level that the fans expect. So hopefully we can do that this year and we can all be successful together. I just want what's best for the team and if that can mean us getting promoted and winning as many games as possible, then hopefully we can achieve that this season. This is the Football Hour. This is a huge football club. We're here to be hopefully successful. Really, we want to start pushing forward and making Portsmouth a real force. We have reached the quarter stage of the season and to say it's been a roller coaster already would be somewhat of an understatement. Pompey have so far experienced the highs. Morel into the penalty area, good delivery, Marquez is header saved, Marquez scores! And the lows. Shot on goal, it's a brilliant goal! There's a long, long way back for Portsmouth now. But 35 league games still remain until the end of the campaign. There's no match to review or even preview this evening, so instead we'll be taking an extended listen back to the events of the season so far, as well as discussing some other important off-field topics too. Throughout the course of the next hour, be sure to have your say on anything related to the club from back home as well. All the usual ways, it's at ExpressFM if you're on Twitter. You can text the word Express, followed by your name and message, to 81400. Email Pompey at expressfm.com or visit facebook.com forward slash Pompey Live. Matt Drabble and Hugh Bunce will be joining me shortly to analyse the Blues opening 13 matches of the campaign, as well as to discuss the recently announced Fratton Park redevelopment plans and the possibility of safe standing being introduced to English football in the near future. That's all to come right here on the Football Hour. This is the Football Hour, 93.7 Express FM. It's a new dawn. It's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. And here we go, Pompey in that change kit going from left to right in this first 45 minutes. And we are underway. And it is loud in Highbury Stadium. Brown trying to get back. Morris into the near post. Real chance. Desperate defending from Freeman. Denies the opportunity. Fleetwood still have it in the penalty area. Still danger for Pompey. Cross comes in. Blocks high in the air. Headed to the six-yard box. And Raggett volleys away. And the warning signs are there for Pompey. Yeah, nil-nil. Bob. Curtis lining up his run. Four paces. In it comes. Curtis shoots over the wall. And hits the bar and over. And lands on the top of the stand and bounces back down. The closest Pompey have come by some distance. Tunnicliffe to the far post to Curtis. It'll fall to Brown. On his left foot. Brown, he scored! Lee Brown! Celebrating front to the Pompey fans. An unlikely scorer. An undeserved goal. But Pompey ahead in the second half. Fleetwood nil, Portsmouth 1. And Portsmouth start the season with a victory on the road here at Fleetwood. Three points for Portsmouth. Fleetwood Town nil, Portsmouth won. When you don't have rhythm and fluency, you've got to fight. And we've been speaking all summer about being resilient, determined and gritty, just like the people of Portsmouth. And I thought we were those things today. I think football's Mr fans, especially Portsmouth. When you score, it's not very nice, but it's so much nicer than just a little bit more atmosphere. I think we've missed them massively and I'm glad they were back. A win for the Blues on opening day was quickly followed by a trip to Millwall in the first round of the Carabao Cup and the first meeting between the two sides in over nine years. London calling for Pompey fans. Midweek away nights back for the Blue Army. And those who are gathered to our left are enjoying their evening so far and are in fine voice ahead of this League Cup first round tie between Millwall and Portsmouth here at the Den. Hackett Fairchild can hit it from distance and he scored! Rico Hackett Fairchild, his first Portsmouth goal, he's Across goal, loose, great chance for Millwall, equaliser. Scott Malone, side-footed effort after Bass could only palm it back into the body of the penalty area. Millwall won, Porter's won. Cross into the middle, loose, shot, goal. George Saville has turned it round for Millwall. It's Millwall 
one as Callum Johnson flies into a challenge and it's a red card and he can't believe it and Portsmouth's spell in the League Cup this year is a brief one they've been beaten 2-1 here by Millwall Pompey then prepared for their first game back in front of an unrestricted Fratton Park crowd since March 2020 with new additions Joe Morrell and Louis Thompson added in the squad for the visit of Crew Alexandra. The opportunity to play for a club like this is something that was too good to turn down really. It's always a tough place to come when you're on the opposing teams. It's an extremely passionate fan base and one that any player at Portsmouth is fortunate to be a part of. Football has been a pretty pointless exercise with no supporters inside grounds. It's been pretty bland. The players are performers, the players need a crowd to thrive on and we all know how atmospheric Fratton Park is. So what a difference that crowd can make to the home team. So really exciting and we just can't wait to get going on Saturday. We're looking forward to a really good atmosphere and Fratton Park bouncing but we also know that we have to bring our energy and our intensity to create that atmosphere and I can't tell you how excited we are for our first home game of the season. For us the supporters are absolutely crucial in driving the energy and driving our intensity and have a real big part to play for we're going to have a successful season. It's amazing how something that once seemed so normal can suddenly feel so special. Fratton Park in the sunshine, filled with Pompey supporters. As we get ready to get things underway, the whistle goes. Good run this from Tunnicliffe into the area to Marquis. Marquis hacking fair shot in the middle, but Marquis scores himself in off the post in front of the Fratton end. And in the third minute of the second half, Pompey are ahead. Five arriving in the train formation, coming in towards the edge of the six-yard box. Header is in the net, but the flag goes up against John Marquis, and it won't count. It was Hackett Fairchild's downward header, and virtually on the goal line, Marquis helped it in. Tunnicliffe brings it down, looking in the area for Harness. Harness across goal and in! Marquis Harness has scored, goes straight through the goalkeeper, and Pompey double their lead. Portsmouth 2, Crunel. As the full-time whistle goes at Fratton Park, Portsmouth have beaten through by two goals to nil. Hopefully people can start to see the way we want to play. We want to play on the front foot. We want to play with the intensity and the aggression. Even when we defend, we want to attack. And, you know, to play that way requires an awful lot of energy from the players. And, you know, the supporters can be our fuel. It was great to give them something back. Three days later, Shrewsbury Town made the trip down to the south coast for match day number three in the league. Fratton Park under the lights with fans in. How we have missed it. They're going to be pleased that they brought their coat tonight to hopefully watch Portsmouth make it three wins from three. And it might sound a simple statistic, but it's something they have managed just once in 33 years. Hardis will get the second ball outside the box to Tunnicliffe. Chance for Tunnicliffe. Deflected shot into the net. First Pompey goal for Ryan Tunnicliffe. He's been magnificent in his opening three matches in his Pompey career. Now he has a goal to show for his effort. And Porter the head inside three minutes. Harness flicks it on. Has it Fairchild gets to the ball and can't get a clean shot on goal. He puts it well wide. Still 1-0. Oh, Marcus is given away in the area. Chip to the far post. Header is saved brilliantly by Bazuno. And Ogilvy clears away. And Trevor Kettle decides that will do. The whistle goes. Porter have won three games in a row to start the season. Another win. Another clean sheet. Nine points for Danny Cowley's team to start the season. Porter have beaten Shrewsbury by a goal to it. When you lose the momentum like we did towards the end of the game, then you have to try to see it out. And yeah, we did that and we're pleased about that. But there's some things that we can do better in the process. Danny Cowley then took his 100% record to struggling Doncaster Rovers, who occupied the relegation zone without a point to their name, before embarking on a trip to high-flying Wigan Athletic on August 28th. Doncaster, one goal, zero points to show for their effort so far. But if only life was quite that simple, and Portsmouth know there are no guarantees this afternoon. Here's close in the area for Doncaster, pulls it back, wonderful save for Zuno, must be, flag up, goal won't count. Still there for Pompey in the area, Jacobs to hit it, Jacobs shot, great save, wonderful save from Dalberg. Long looking for Adamy, he's completely free if he can bring it down, he chests it down, there's a chance, great block, penalty! Sean Williams is looking for his first Portsmouth goal and what a chance he has from the penalty spot. He's going to strike it with his left foot. Williams saved by Goldberg, down to his right and he gathers at the second attempt. It's still 0-0. That's the final.
final action of this game and Portsmouth's 100% record is over in League One but they have still not conceded a goal. They've had to settle for a nil-nil draw with Doncaster Rovers here at the Keepmoat Stadium. For me, it's the performance and you've got to play well for 90 minutes and we didn't today. We didn't play well for long enough in the game to earn the luck and the moments that you need to be able to win. So we've got a lot to do. We're still two or three players short if we want to be where we want to be. They've now got stability. They've obviously got ambitious owners. They've been really, really aggressive this transfer window. And they look like they've got a squad that will compete right at the top of this division. And here we go. The first big test for Danny Cowley's Portsmouth here in League One. And here's Jones. This is dangerous for Pompey. Jones trying to break into the penalty area. Twisting one way than the other. Oh, great from Jones. Jones goes to ground. No penalty, says the referee. And Richardson... The Wigan manager not happy. Wigan coming forward, crossing to the penalty area. It's a good one. A real chance at the far post for Lang. He scored. Wigan one fourth for nil. Hurst flicks it on. There's one more chance for Pompey in the box. Curtis miscontrols it. McLean wins it and clears it. And that will be that. Portsmouth's unbeaten start to the season has come to an end. So you come to a team that's recruited as aggressively as Wigan and, and have as much control in the game at their home stadium and I think there's a lot of the process that we can be pleased with but obviously we're disappointed with the outcome. For us to be a team that this club deserves and for us to achieve what everyone associated with this club wants to, we're definitely too official. And the gaffer got his wish when Miguel Aziz joins the Blues on loan from Premier League outfit Arsenal. Academy graduate Hadji Minoga also put pen to paper on a new deal at PO4 before immediately joining Bromley on loan until January. I'm a midfielder who likes to get goals. I like to create. I always put 100% in all the games I play to make sure that I um, give my, the best I can of myself. I'm a winner as well. I want to win games every game I play, whether it's training, games. I want to make sure that I win, you know. So I hope that I can show the fans that I'm a good aspect to this team. I want to get goals and assists and just get us back to the championship. I think it's going to be different from what I've experienced here in terms of the level, but it's something that I'm really looking forward to, to go in and experience. I've always wanted to play play for Portsmouth, play for the first team. And I think that's what I'm definitely going to be looking to do because every time I put the shirt on, I tried to play with pride. I tried to give 110%. We then saw Marlon Romeo unveiled as signing number 14 ahead of a trip to Plough Lane for the opening fixture of this season's Papa John's Trophy group stage. Without boasting, I like to be attacking. I like to be on the front foot. I like to get at other fullbacks. I like to defend, start counters. It is a beautiful evening in southwest London. Clear skies, very pleasant temperatures. We could be sat on the Algarve or the Spanish Riviera down Drysdale, ready to get us underway in the EFL Trophy. And it comes towards the near post. It's flicked on loose. Chance for Wimbledon goal! Paul Calabai has his first senior Wimbledon goal inside a minute. Porter the behind. Now there's space for them to drive forward into and look towards the Sarland in the penalty area. Trying to pull it back. Great chance 2-0. Aaron Presley has his second of the season. Couldn't miss that from six yards out. Wimbledon have caused Pompey problems and they lead by two goals to nil. Harrison outside the penalty area, shot in for net. Awala can't keep that one out. That goes through him. And Ellis Harrison's got his first of the season. Portsmouth haven't looked dangerous until first half stoppage time and they now have their goal. Wimbledon two, Portsmouth one. Left footed in swing corner to come for Portsmouth. Second of the half. This again is going underneath the crossbar to the far post. Ogilvy nods it back to the six yard box and it's headed into the net. And Ellis Harrison has powered home an equaliser. It's Wimbledon 2, Portsmouth 2. Lovely ball, the outside of his right foot to Hackett Fairchild, who breaks into the penalty area. Across the face of goal, great effort, save! Harrison's there for the follow-up and completes his hat-trick. Portsmouth were two down, and Ellis Harrison hat-trick has turned it around. It's Wimbledon 2, Portsmouth 3. And a penalty kick to Wimbledon. Uh, you cannot dangle a leg like that when somebody goes past. You just can't do it. Presley, right-footed, steps forward, strikes it and scores. It's AFC Wimbledon 3, Portsmouth 3. Deep delivery towards the far post, headed into the net. And Wimbledon might have just won it at the death. Will Nightingale on target, ghosting in at the far post. It's AFC Wimbledon 4, Portsmouth 3. Wimbledon could be away here and there's only the goalkeeper between Presley and the net. Presley bearing down on the penalty area to end it. Great save, Eastwood. Follow-up in the net. Fifth goal for Wimbledon. Game over as the final whistle goes here at the new Plough Lane. It is a defeat for Portsmouth in the EFL Trophy.
They've lost this one by five goals to three. It was a crazy game, I suppose. It was a good one for the neutral, but not a good one for us because we don't like to concede five goals and, and we like to win. The Blues were without a number of first-teamers for that one, but Danny Cowley had a full squad back at his disposal for the weekend when he took his side to MK Dons in search of a first win in three. Good to get the group back together today. First time, actually, we've been together as a whole squad and everybody's trained. We've had a good session and got competition now in every position, which is good and what you want. We're underway at Stadium MK. That's a slightly risky back pass back to Andrew Fisher, the MK Dons goalkeeper. He lofts it over the top. Sean Raggett ducks under it and then we'll pass it back to Bazunu. It's a bad touch from Bazunu. It's half a chance for Dons, but Twine can't get his shot away and Pompey at least have got themselves set to defend this attack down the left-hand side. Arnest wins it high up the pitch and drives into the area. Across the face of goal, it's loose in the box. It won't initially fall for a red and black shirt. Hackett Fairchild has it still inside the area, looking to the far post, and he just lofts it up into the arms of Andrew Fisher. Combination of Morell and Curtis can't win the ball, and there might have been a chance to, and suddenly at the other end, MK Dons are breaking through. Real danger for Pompey here. Square, must be, 1-0. Couldn't miss. Ethan Robson with his first for the club. Pompey hit hard on the counter-attack. It's MK Dons 1, Portsmouth 0. Final whistle has gone here at Stadium MK, and it's another 1-0 defeat on the road for Portsmouth. It's always nice to uh, have that start, only two goals in six games, but ultimately like, something that we need to do this season, keep clean sheets, but we also need to start putting the ball in the back of the net at the other end as well to get where we want to be. Yeah. And it didn't get much better the following week, as newly promoted Cambridge United became the latest side to heap the misery upon Pompey on a day riddled with below-par performances both on and off the pitch. The way that we want to play, the players have got to have fire in their belly, but ice in their head, and to increase the emotion in training and get the players to be able to... To, to manage your emotions in that moment is obviously one way. Portsmouth haven't scored a league goal since what feels like the middle of summer. It was the perfect start to the season. Three wins from three, but no wins and no goals since then. Here we go then. Pompey, usual home strip, get us underway, going from right to left. So they're kicking towards the Fratton end in the first half. Three. Williams cross to the far post. Header is in the net! And Cambridge are ahead. Joe Ironside with a looping header. There's nothing Bazunu can do about that. It's into the top corner. Pompey needing to stand firm again. Williams runs clear and free in the middle. Off the head of Raggett. Comes through. Shot on goal. It's a brilliant goal. Liam O'Neill with his first of the season. A curling left-footed effort that goes into the top corner. There's a long, long way back for Portsmouth now. Curtis is going to head it back to the danger area. Bad clearance. Curtis is shot into the net. Rona Curtis with his first of the season and Pompey have finally broken that goal drought. Portsmouth 1, Cambridge 2. Boos ring out around Fratton Park. Portsmouth have lost the third consecutive game in League One. They've been beaten by Cambridge United 2-1 here at Fratton Park and Portsmouth will drop to 15th in League One. For Portsmouth Football Club and that was well short. The performance that we would expect to give our supporters. It's obviously very disappointing for everyone involved but we've got some good players and a lot of experience so we'll use that and come back stronger, ready for Tuesday night. Back under the lights and back at Fratton Park and really trying to put the shambles of Saturday both on and off the pitch behind. There's five in the Plymouth wall. Curtis comes up, Brown hits it and into the net! Lee Brown! His second goal of the season. Portsmouth 1, Plymouth nil. Freeman, oh, watches the long ball. That wasn't the best. And Hardy is thrown goal for Plymouth. It's only Bazunu to beat. Hardy against Bazunu. And it's scored by Hardy. He chips it over Bazunu just when it looked like Freeman might have got back. Plymouth are level. Camera has won it and set Ryan Hardy away. And Williams has misjudged. And it's Hardy against Bazunu again. And Hardy goes round him and scores for Plymouth. It's Portsmouth 1, Plymouth 2. Curtis is finding his way to the dead ball and it's a good cross to the far post. Harrison's header, loose in the net! Equaliser, Sean Raggett! From two yards out, Portsmouth 2, Plymouth 2. And the performance was far from perfect, but I thought the effort and the attitude and the application was excellent. And with the amount of effort and energy that we put in the game, a point was the least we deserved. A dramatic point won at home to the Pilgrims preceded a trip to the Valley for a clash against expected promotion rivals Charlton Athletic. As their two sides prepare to lock horns here at the Valley, it's an away sellout for this trip to London. Touch from Romeo to Curtis. Pompey moving this nicely. Curtis outside the area. Curtis shot! What a goal! Rona Curtis curls one into the top corner and Portsmouth take the lead in the opening minutes. 
in it comes into the penalty area. Oh, he's played short. Claire charge goal. So sloppy from Portsmouth. Sean Clare's only been on the pitch 90 seconds and he scores his first goal for Charlton. Charlton won, Portsmouth won. Curtis coming down the left-hand side. He's got Brown on the overlap. Forward to Marquis. Marquis helps it on. Hardis, great finish. Wonderful Portsmouth goal. They've been under the cost for 15 minutes, but they produce a moment of quality going forward. And Harness strokes it into the bottom corner. Corey Blackett-Taylor, and he's in behind the Portsmouth defence. Blackett-Taylor across the face of goal equaliser. We had a game plan, we knew they were dangerous, we pressed them high, we had loads of chances, we just got to be more ruthless in the final third. We're not really happy with a point, but we push on from here. Despite Pompey hitting the back of the net five times in their previous three matches, striker John Marquis was finding life difficult up top, with many questioning his role in the team. But the former Doncaster talisman had the full backing of the Blues head coach ahead of their trip to Burton Albion on September 28th. He's given the team so much and we're a better team when he plays. You know, you've only got to look at the energy that he gives us at the top end of the pitch. He's born to score goals. He's scored goals all of his career. We have full faith in him as a boy and as a person and, and know that he'll come through this. And we are ready to get things underway with Portsmouth in their usual home kit away from home. Jefferson plays it short. Poppy desperately trying to scramble back. Shot to come in into the net. Burton take the lead, Tom O'Connor scores his first goal for Burton. Romeo has it stolen from Hamer, Jefferson out the area, danger for Poppy, great goal, wonderful strike, Daniel Jefferson with his first goal for Burton, Burton Albion 2, Portsmouth 0. Hackett Fairchild goes with his left foot and scores! Fantastic strike, and Rico Hackett Fairchild points to the ball and says, let's go again, Pompey. It's Burton 2, Portsmouth 1, a wonderful strike. And then, with the Blues without a victory for 47 days, it was the turn of league leader Sunderland to draw battle at Fratton Park in absolutely treacherous conditions. We have had a difficult moment. There's no hiding place from that. We actually see Saturday as the perfect game for us. I think to play the league leaders at home at Fratton Park will be just what the team, the group and everybody individually needs. After the run that Pompey have been on without a win since the 17th of August, eight consecutive matches in all competitions without victory, you're going up against the league leader Sunderland, who have just come off the back of a 5-0 win against Cheltenham and are unbeaten in six. It's got 4-0 written all over it, isn't it? It's got 4-0 written all over it. As Brown comes down the left-hand side, moving into the penalty area, looking for Harness. Harness edge of the box, chance for a shot, deflected in the net! And Portsmouth take the lead! Marcus Harness from the edge of the penalty area, strokes it into the bottom corner. And Pompey win it back and Harness will come in from the left-hand side. Everyone stop for a minute towards Marquis. Chance goal! Second for Portsmouth! It's Lee Brown, I think, who's put it in the net, but it is a wonderful move down the left-hand side. In the ball to come to the penalty area. Portsmouth trying to create a late chance. Curtis to deliver. Whipped in low towards the near post. Deflected it in! Marcus gets a toe to the ball and forces it into the far corner. And the perfect first half performance from Portsmouth is complete. Morell into the penalty area. Good delivery. Marquis's header saved. Marquis scores! No denying it's Marquis this time. His first header was saved. He had a tap in from a yard out. Pompey 4, Sunderland 0. So there you have it, the highlights of Pompey's opening quarter of the season. A crazy one for sure. The Blues are now 11th in League One with 35 games still to play. Coming up after the break, I'll be bringing in my two guests for tonight's conversation. The three of us will be talking through those 13 games as well as moving on to discuss Fratton Park redevelopment plans and also the possible introduction of safe standing to English football. As always, we're really keen to hear what you've got to say back home as well. 81400 is the number to text, starting your messages with the word express. Otherwise, you can email pompey at expressfm.com, tweet using at expressfm, or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pompey Live. Stay right where you are and join us again very shortly for the continuation of tonight's show. You're listening to the Football Hour on Express FM. This is the Football Hour 93.7 Express FM. Welcome back to part two of this evening's Football Hour here on Express FM. Tonight I'm joined alongside Matt Drabble and Hugh Bunce to review Pompey's opening 13 matches of this season. They've been waiting very, very patiently. So let's bring them into the conversation now. First of all, Matt Drabble joining us over the phone lines. Matt, a very good evening to you, mate. Good evening, Jake. How are you doing? 
Not too bad, thank you, mate. Not too bad, not too bad. Alongside you tonight, Matt, we've got Hugh Bunce from the PO Forecast. Hugh, great to have you along. Thanks for having me back on the show, Jake, and it's great to be in the studio as well. It is great to be back in the studio. It really, really is. And, um, yeah, start of uh, something new, hopefully. And uh, speaking of something, you know, something new, Hugh, Pompey this season under new management, Danny and Nicky Cowley, it is now their first full season in charge of the Blues. 13 matches in all competitions have come and gone, Um, 11 in the league and, and two in cup competitions. How would you assess the start of the season they've had? I think it's fair to say it's been quite a difficult start to the season for for Danny Cowley and Nicky Cowley. Um, I like what they've done in in the sense of you know implementing a new system, etc. I like I like the three at the back system. We're starting to play now, and it seems the players are sort of settling into that a bit more. There's still real key questions about are we good enough up top and at centre back as well. We look very light, especially if we're going to play a back three. But so far, it's been a, it's been a bit of a rocky start. But hopefully, we can push on from Sunderland. Yeah, and certainly improvements uh, at the weekend, Matt, against Sunderland, a 4-0 victory. I don't think any of us saw that coming, did we? No, not at all, Jake. And I think that really began with some of the stuff we talked about when previewing Burton was improved combination play up the wings, which we certainly saw, especially up the right, involving Romeo and, and improved pressure in the midfield and having a bit more bite about us. And I certainly felt like Ports has won the midfield battle at the weekend, had more energy, and that allowed us, we earned the right to uh, to play football by doing the dirty work. Yeah, and the season started so promisingly, Hugh. Three victories at the start of the league campaign without conceding a goal. Went a little bit downhill, didn't it, from, from the Doncaster match. A nil-nil draw at the Keymote Stadium at the time didn't seem so bad. But then you fast-forward 47 days and you still haven't won a league match. It became quite a bit worrying that became real you know the first big test that the Cowley brothers had to deal with yeah no it's been it's been pretty difficult in that sense and I think we're all looking at the Sunderland game and I definitely wasn't predicting a win it did start off quite well but we still looked a little bit flat in the middle in the midfield when you look at the three when you had Williams in there as well it just didn't seem to be working too well but now you've got Joe Morrell as Matt was saying with um, Turnercliffe in the middle they look really really dynamic and I'm hoping that can kickstart us against difficult games we've got coming up against Rotherham yeah and 13 outgoings in the summer Matt 14 incomings for, for Danny and Cowley's side really you can't really argue against the fact but Gavin Bazunu has probably been the biggest light of those signings he's been an absolutely phenomenal uh, coup for Pompey on loan from Manchester City Absolutely and it's just frustrating that he he isn't really our player we're developing someone else's player but that's the nature of being a club uh, dwelling in the the lower reaches of the English Football League you're going to have to get players in on loan and Bazunu's been that Um, you can see he's got the City DNA the Manchester City DNA all through his style of play, from his distribution uh, to his commanding nature at the back as well. And I think he, he is a real talent and, and one we'll see great in the Premier League screens down the years. And of the other signings that have come into Fratton Park this summer, who, who would you point out as you know one of the standout performers? There's been, there's been quite a few, you know. Yeah, there has been quite a few, isn't there? There's quite a few excited players. I already mentioned Joe Morales. So I'm not going to touch on him again, but I think Romeo looks really good down down the right-hand side of wing-back. It gives us so much balance going forward with him and Lee Brown there. And you could see that we're creating chances. So, for instance, against against Charlton, he got that assist there for, for John Marquis by coming inside anyway and laying it off. So I do think, though, that we've got some really good players across the squad, but Romeo's really pipped it on the right for me at this moment. Yeah. And uh, Marlon Romeo, Joe Morrell, Gavin Bazunu all mentioned so far, uh, Matt. But Ryan Tunnicliffe, again, you know, much like Pompey started the season so very well, dipped off a little bit in, in September. But when he's on the top of his game, he really does pull the strings in that midfield. Absolutely. And uh, I think one of the factors that allows Tunnicliffe to be successful in the last few games is the development of that partnership with Joe Morrell which was absent really in the middle of the the middle part of this first quarter of the season, if you like. He started so brightly playing alongside Williams, then his central midfield partner shifted, and there was just that adjustment period where they began to learn each other's games. I remember distinctly that Plymouth game on the Tuesday night, Morrell and Tunnicliffe often sort of shouting at each other a little bit in that second half as they were finding each other spread so far apart. And, and it seems like maybe those cracks between Charlton and Burton got ironed out uh, for the Sunderland game at the weekend and those two are really starting to develop an understanding Mm. which could be massively beneficial to Portsmouth going forward. As Hugh mentioned, the dynamism they both bring 
could, could be an excellent factor. Alan Swift on the emails has got involved this evening. Great to hear from you, Alan. Thank you for getting in touch. He says, hi, Jake and co. I was pleased that the bizarre conditions allowed us a route into a much-needed win over the league leaders last week. The jury is still out until after the Rotherham game for me. Realistically, again, thinking Alan in Southsea on the emails. And Hugh, yeah, you know, whilst we talk about that Sunderland game, a fantastic win for Pompey, 4-0 over the league leaders. Just a week prior, we, we were talking here on the Football Hour on Pompey Live about how it's only early days. You know, you can't get too down about the start of a season we've had because there's plenty of time to make up for it. Likewise, a 4-0 victory over Sunderland doesn't mean we're going to get promoted overnight. There's still a very, very long way to go. No, absolutely. And you look at games coming up against against Rotherham as well. Ipswich is always a bit of a weird one. Accrington in 10th, Bolton in 7th. It's going to be tricky. Was, you know, Sunderland was a test, but when you look at teams like Rotherham, most shots for the season, fewest shots against, highest expected goals for, they're going to be a really, really difficult challenge for Pompey. But if we can win that game, I think the, the, the mood around the club and the fan base is going to you know, give us some real hope and really pick up. Yeah, and of course we can't preview the game this evening, Matt, that was supposed to be taking place this weekend. Portsmouth at home to Cheltenham Town uh, tomorrow afternoon. Of course there have been international call-ups to Danny Cowley's side and Bagaffer has decided to postpone the game, which he has come out and repressed and said he didn't want to do it. But when you've got the likes of Gavin Bazunu, uh, Joe Morrell, uh, Miguel Aziz out of the squad, Matt, it, it's difficult to see Pompey fielding a side against Cheltenham Town with all due respect to the other players of the squad, the, the form we've been in, those are players we need in the team week in, week out. Definitely, Jake. And, you know, it, it was funny. We talked just before the Sunderland game and we said, this is the type of game, if we lose to Sunderland, we'll want it to be postponed. If we win, we'll be kicking ourselves and hoping that it's played. Um, and that's turned out to be the case. Portsmouth have a momentum behind them, built off a huge win against the league leaders, and they won't be able to capitalise on it this weekend. Of course, you've got Sutton in the week, which is a chance to get some minutes and maybe some players on the fringe of the first team. And it was reported that Portsmouth played a, a pretty strong side against Bournemouth mm -hmm. on Wednesday uh, to make up for the absence of the game against Cheltenham. And they actually ran out 3-0 out winners, I believe, against the Bournemouth team, which featured many Bournemouth starters. So there has been opportunities for Cowley to, to get legs in the, or get minutes in the legs of his players. But in terms of, you know, building off the, riding the crest of that wave from Sunderland, it is frustrating. But I agree with you, we couldn't have played this full-strength side that we would like to have played. No. Are you in the same sort of agreement, Hugh? Would you like, would you have, you know, preferred tomorrow's game to be on just so we can get the minutes in the tank for some other players in the squad and just get the game over and done with and not kind of want to be playing catch-up with other teams in the division? Or are you kind of like myself and Matt, actually quite pleased that the game's being called off. No, I don't think I wanted the game to go ahead, apart from the fact I don't want to have to go to Fratton Park on a Tuesday as a fan. But, you know, if you're looking from a team perspective, I suppose, it's not the right time for us to play it. And also you'd have Ronan Curtis, I believe, out as well because he picked up another booking. So he'd be another player who'd be missing as well as the ones that have already been mentioned. So this should be a game we can get three points in. So let's play it with a full strength side. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the next game does come in the form of Rotherham United next Saturday. Matt, we're not going to preview it too much on tonight's show because that's what next week is for. But, you know, like you referenced earlier in the show, it's a difficult game to, to come back into, albeit the fact we've got a Tuesday night cup tie against Sutton United. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree, Jake. And Rotherham, a team that, for me, have been a bit surprising this year. I thought there would be a, another period of adjustment at Rotherham, but they've flown into the league. Uh, 11 point, uh, sorry, 11 games played, six wins, two draws, three losses. They sit comfortably at fourth in the table. And, and Hugh gave those stats earlier uh, about the expected goals and the number of chances they're creating in their games. It's certainly a dangerous proposition, a more dangerous proposition than I thought they would be. So I guess chance for Cowley to get the players on this week break prepared for them early. We know how tactically astute he is. We know the kind of research he does on his opposition. Um, we've almost got another week of that research to take place so we can really come up with a specific game plan for that Rotherham team. Hmm. Don't forget to keep your uh, text tweets and emails coming in from back home as well, Pompey fans. All the usual ways, uh, 81400 is the number to text. Start your messages with the word express. Include your name at the end of those as well. You can email pompey at expressfm.com, tweet using at expressfm or go to facebook.com forward slash Pompey Live. Mockers has got in touch on Twitter. Says, if you're at a match, you do not appreciate how good Andy Moon is as a commentator until you 
hear the clips of him in full flow like Express FM have been playing this evening. Love his passion behind the mic. Uh, great summary of Pompey season so far. Thank you to Mockers for getting in touch on Twitter there. OK, then, we have just over 20 minutes of tonight's show remaining. And after the break, I'll be back with Hugh and Matt to uh, move the conversation forward a little bit. And we're going to start talking about redevelopment plans for Fratton Park that have been announced in the last week or so. The club are moving forward with the plans to redevelop Fratton Park and try to make it, try to re bring it back into the modern era and get the capacity back up for fans, uh, hopefully, in Pompey and the Championship in the next couple of years' time. So keep those text weeks and emails coming in Pompey fans we'll be right back after these messages this is the football hour 93.7 Express FM. Welcome back to Express FM. Welcome back to part three of this evening's Football Hour, where I'm tonight joined by Matt Drabble and Hugh Bunce. Just under 20 minutes of the show remaining to get your final text tweets and emails into the panel. We're moving our conversation now along to the redevelopment plans of Fratton Park that were exclusively revealed by the club to our friends and colleagues at the Portsmouth News within the last week or two. We're going to delve a bit deeper now into those plans and the future of our beloved stadium PO4 and Matt let's start on the the Milton end which is phase one of a reported 11 and a half million pounds redevelopment plan and the work on this is to begin in the summer of 2023 the plans for these were released online around about a year ago year and a half ago and the, the, the main idea for the Milton end is to just bring it into the 21st century upgrade it, give it a little bit of a lick of paint and to really expand the concourse areas because the facilities in that away stands at the moment they're not quite up to scratch so in terms of the four stands that we're going to highlight today Matt it is the smaller one to work on but certainly one that is necessary Yes Jake and I think you know I've spent today making myself an expert on these stadium plans, doing my research and the Milton End I have down on, on the club's proposal is stage four actually the final stage uh obviously the north state north stand being stage one that's already begun yeah um but it'll be a 12 month project ready for the summer of 2024 and like you say jake just modernizing it and bringing it into a new era and i think a large part of the redevelopment of the milton stand is concerned around experience for away fans and experience for fans with disabilities that maybe haven't found it the most accessible uh, ground to visit before, especially the Milton End, especially away fans with disabilities. So that's a massive factor in the redevelopment of the Milton End. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's got to move on from the days, if you remember in the Premier League, Guidermac had to take a fine each week. We played a game with the current, with the old Milton End. Um, because it didn't have a roof on it. So it's not that long ago, this this stand didn't even have a roof. I think the new project, seeing the images, looks very ambitious. It's going to have a uh, turnstile at each end. It's going to have some of the old mock Tudor cladding as well, um, and just a, a more safe stand for away fans as well. The details of it, I, I couldn't really find in the club's proposal, but we understand a big increase in capacity. And of all the four stands around the stadium, it's the only one which I believe is being almost completely rebuilt. The others are being redeveloped. The Milton End, yeah. uh, it will be a new stand in itself. And in terms of that rebuild to the North Stand, Hugh, of course, we have seen at the moment uh, that work has begun you know, minimally uh, at the moment. And the work on this on a major scale is to be started around about December time this year. So actually not long now, just under two months to go until we see real major improvements to the north stand but of course we have seen a number of seats um, in the north lower um, actually been taken out of action uh, season ticket holders have been moved to different areas of the stadium to compensate for that and this is all due to health and sa safety regulations that have come up in you know the last 12 months or so which is unfortunate of course but work to commence in december of this year for the north lower and that's to aim to create 700 more seats but just referring back to what matt was saying there the plan of long term is to actually bulldoze the entire North Lower and start again. Is that something that's actually been needed for quite a number of years now? Because it's been one of those stands which we all love Fratton Park, but it's, it's falling apart a little bit, isn't it? 
yeah it definitely needs some love doesn't it it does need to be done again i mean there's been loads of talk over the years isn't there or turning the pitch round or extending the stands up but something needs to be done but i'm still a little bit you know i've got some reservations so we'll see proofs in the pudding a little bit here of how it turns out and you know what sort of investments put into the bottom of that stand but yeah it clearly needs help but if you're going to try and increase the capacity in that stand it'll be interesting to see how they do that because it's already really tight in the north lower if you go and sit down there so i'll be waiting with anticipation to see how it's done and of course the north upper work has also begun on that at the moment matt and that's something we need to touch upon now as well it's involved the replacement of 3400 seats the installation of safety barriers and also new lights as well this is all stuff which you, you probably wouldn't take too much notice of if you weren't told about it you could go to fratton park you, you might see a new scene go oh, that looks new and that's about it but actually a lot of this work is just about getting fratton park up to a fit and safe standard to actually be used and that's kind of a main bulk of you know these redevelopment plans it's not necessarily to increase the capacity which is of course the long-term aim is to actually get fratton park safe you've hit the nail on the head there jake yeah it, it's stuff that the fans will look at and not think wow that's that's a visible sign of progress but it is vitally important to put that into perspective the four phase 11.5 million pound redevelopment program which includes changing every stand by the fratten end as i've said it's going to cost 11.5 million pounds michael eisner believes 10 million has already been spent just to make the stadium up to safety standards so as you mentioned it's not stuff that stands out but it is actually very expensive work and it's very important work that's had to be done specifically to that north upper area and a few other smaller areas of the ground as well and as Hugh mentioned, the, you know, the north lower is going to be the next phase of the plan. And, and the north upper is being brought up to safety standards temporarily. But in the future, there is the prospect and the proposition of a separate plan to do away with that section altogether yeah. and build a new stand which hangs over the top of the north lower. Now, that all sounds very complicated, but it's, it's similar to the Liverpool 2016 model to reintroduce their main stand. Um, is what I've been told. So the North Lower will be a permanent fixture. The North Upper, they'll almost move out like a piece of Lego and build a new, much larger stand with greater capacity over the top of the old North Lower. Yeah, it's all exciting news as well, isn't it, Hugh? Because you look at the space behind uh, the North Stand and even the Fratton End as well, which we'll come on to in just a moment, the Fratton End. But in terms of the North Stand, the club have worked hard over the last you know, six, seven, eight years to, to continuously buy land behind the North Stand, which includes the car park, uh, the areas where the, the Pompey and the community buildings are, in order to try and create more space to, to redevelop Fratton Park on a, on a major scale. And like you know, Matt rightfully touched upon there, after these initial works to the north stand have been completed there is scope for more improvement and, and to try and increase the capacity and, and build further upon it so whilst the, the, the short-term future for fratton park is looking bright the long term is looking even greater yeah no and that's what needs to happen isn't it for this club to move forward really we need a bigger stand and it needs to be torn down and built back up again but Again, Jake, this is all really exciting news, I suppose, that's coming out. But again, we've heard this sort of thing before, and I'll be the cynical one to come out and say that until something actually happens from a tangible level, you know, we're not going to have that stand that was supposed to be built in the harbour, you know, before, and <laughs> all these kind of ideas. So let's hope it keeps progressing, you know, keep positive, and hopefully we do get some actual tangible uh, results from it. Oh, what could have been that that dockyard stadium? What a what an impressive facility that looked on paper. It was like the Pringle, wasn't it, or something oh. like that? It looked like yeah. in the... with the Louis Vuitton underneath it as well. That was a nice feature. The, the floating <laughs> stadium with the Louis Vuitton and the Gucci built into oh, its yeah. basement. We could have piled out all bar one and just gone and uh, gone into Louis Vuitton. <laughs> But Pompey are remaining at Fratton Park, and look, that's not that's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination, Matt. You know, you ask every Pompey fan, I can guarantee that 95% of them will say they want to remain at Fratton Park. You can give them any kind of plan to build a new stadium outside of the Fratton area that looks nice and modern and, and up to date with, you know, the standards of stadiums you see in the top divisions nowadays. But 95% of fans will tell you that Fratton Park is where it's at no matter what. 
definitely jake and you know my worst nightmare as a pompey fan i have to admit would be to have the ground replaced and we see something like brentford's new stadium or or even saint mary's just a a soulless sort of toilet bowl looking thing with free-flowing seats around the outside and the pitch in the middle and that's the challenge that these builders and these developers are facing with fratton park is maintaining the history um, and maintaining the character of the place while also making it safe and modern. And if they do manage to pull it off, it will be a huge feat. But as Hugh said, we're all sort of waiting with, with held breath mm. for tangible signs of progress to the stadium. Yes, replacing the seats is great. Yes, we understand it cost 10 million. It was really important work. But we're sort of four or five years into the eyes of the project now. Let's see some, I guess, tangible signs of of progress in terms of modernizing the stadium rather than just making it safe hmm. now this is why the tony goodall fans conference in the coming weeks is so important for michael eisner he's coming back to the uk to speak at that fan conference because he can put some minds to rest and explain and show fans the actual concrete ideas for the stadium and what it is supposed to look like rather than just seeing a bunch of seats piled up at fratton park which you could pay five quid to have in your back garden <laughs> and yeah you know that is right and like you've been saying all along here you know we, we've seen so many plans down the years for you know from from various different owners down the years you've seen more than i have you're you're older than myself you've seen more plans um you, you've seen the farlington marshes plans you know the 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 potential stadium that was going to be built for the 2010 World Cup if England had won the bid. Of course, the Dockyard Stadium as well. We've seen many different um, potential ideas for Fratton Park itself. So we are keeping reserved on these plans. And like you say, you, you, kind of holding our breath until we see some concrete work being done. But in terms of the, the next phase of, of the redevelopment plans, supposedly the South Stand, and that's probably the, the most difficult one to try and do because you've got to try and retain the heritage. It's a grade two listed building, but there's not a lot you can do with it. Nonetheless, it is also a stand that needs work to be done. It, it's a difficult one to try and touch. No, it is difficult, isn't it? And anyone knows you sat in the South, you know, with all the pillars and stuff. And I know you guys even up trying to see commentating and Andy Moon, you've got you've got the posts in the way. There, there are two score. massive posts in the South stand. They are positioned right in the most awkward position from a, a press box perspective. You know, when you're trying to report on the game, they are both right in front of the goal. Yeah, so not that's, ideal. That is not ideal at all, is it? And that is difficult. But I mean, at the same time, so they have to come up with a solution to solve it. And it's all good. You know, we can say how hard it is, but it's not our job to sort that out. Unfortunately, it's the developers' jobs to come up with a good solution for it. So you know, I'm hoping they can they can come in and you know really get going and do something with it, Jake. But just really quickly, I wanted to say though, the academy is something that I, I feel that hasn't materialised as yeah. expected, maybe. And what I want to see really is is these plans come to fruition. Yeah. And I will be interested to see with. My Michael Eisner when he comes over next week he can explain how that's also going to move forward so not just the stadium but the academy and maybe get us towards going towards a category two yeah and certainly a lot of questions will be raised in in regards to the academy map because that was something that the Tonanti company at the start of their bid in 2017 did put forward as a, a priority and like you know like Hugh said we, we've seen the purchase of you know the Rocco training ground we've seen the improvements to the training ground itself but in terms of the academy it's looking a little bit bleak we've seen resignations over the past couple of weeks it seems to be a little bit discombobulated at the moment despite what seemed to be a promising summer with some new faces coming in so you know kind of reflecting what Hugh's saying there the academy is something that a lot of fans will be looking to to see answers for yes Jake and I think that that 4-0 thrashing of Sunderland papered over a lot of the cracks of fan discontent that was brewing for a few weeks really stemming from the academy resignations and the of course the 46 47 days without a win but there was a lot of talk pre-sunderland about how ugly things were going to turn if we went one nil down and what the reaction to michael eisner would be when he came to england then you know we beat sunderland four nil top of the league we're all sat around in a circle singing kumbaya mm -hmm. um, and talking about how great everything is at portsmouth um, and I think it does need to be brought up because I'm definitely pro Eisner. I definitely believe that the club is in a better place now than it would have been mm. had the trust uh, maintained ownership. But the one area of criticism which me, even the most staunch Eisner defender, will will come down on is the academy because that has fallen well short of what was promised. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's not like there's not room for improvement there the, the roco center is a massive space with a ton of potential this is a footballing city 
with thousands and tens of thousands of young lads that absolutely love the sport, grew up loving the sport. You walk anywhere around Pompey on a Sunday or Saturday morning or even on a weekday and, and look at the cages. There's young lads playing football everywhere. And it is not it is not producing tangible results within the academy. Instead, we're seeing young lads leave and choose to go play men's football that likes of Dorchester, your Bromleys, your Wealdstones, rather than your Bognor Regis is a massive one as well, rather than stick out and see uh, a chance of playing for the club. Maybe they even grew up supporting. Yeah. Very well put, Matt. Very well put. And I'm sure there will be a lot of fans echoing those thoughts. We do look forward to that uh, Tony Goodall's uh, fan conference very, very soon. Michael Eisner and Eric Eisner coming over to answer your questions. Uh, just before we do go away, lads, there's also been speculation and talk over the last couple of weeks in the media of safe standing returning. Uh, it's going to be trialled uh, with six clubs in the Premier League towards the back end of this season. If that is successful, they're going to trial it in the Championship for next season too. So that is something that hopefully or potentially could impact Pompey next campaign and hopefully it is something that the government are going to pass a law on to allow standing to be returned to these football stadiums officially um, in, in a safe capacity in the years to come so we haven't got a lot to talk about it Hugh it's a silly question I know what your answer is going to be very simply pro or anti-safe standing <laughs> well I mean standing's brilliant isn't it everyone who listens to this probably has been to a football ground and us as League One fans have been to the likes of Crawley away or whatever and when you can stand up it's absolutely great I think it's a bit odd to me. Obviously, you get it in Bundesliga, the places like that, top German football, where they do have, do have standing. And it's something that, yeah, we just need to get on with it now, really, and allow fans to stand up at games. Yeah. Uh, Matt Drabble, thank you ever so much for calling in tonight, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, as per usual. Hope you have a great weekend without Pompey. Uh, and I'm, I'm, we'll hear from you again sh uh, very soon. Very, very soon. Bye. Thank you very much, Jake. I'll just do a shameless plug of the Hamilton Wars Louisville game tomorrow as well. Yes. £6 entry. Pompey aren't at home. Hawks are only charging £6 to get in. That's a National League South fixture. So make sure if you're not going to if you're not going to another football game, come along to Hamilton Wars Louisville. And I'll be here as well if you want to come say hello. Hugh, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight, mate. It's been a pleasure to have you. Have a great weekend, mate. Always a pleasure, Jake. Great to talk football with you. And no Pompey this weekend, as you've just heard there. But the next time the Blues will be in action will be this Tuesday night, Sutton United, the visitors in the EFL Trophy. Everything we do is passionately Pompey. This is you believe it. Pompey Live. Pompey put four past Sunderland on Saturday afternoon. On its edge of the box, still in the net, goal! Second for Portsmouth. Towards the near post, deflected it in, with his head aside, Marquis scores! Up next, EFL Trophy action at Fratton Park. Sutton United are the visitors, and we'll have all the unmissable action Tuesday from 7. Pompey Live on Express FM with Aqua Cars. Well, I'm afraid we've reached the very end of tonight's show here on Express FM. Thank you to everyone for tuning in and getting involved on the socials this evening. I know there's not been a lot of uh, on-the-field chat to talk about tonight, but it's been a great hour of discussion nonetheless to review Pompey's season so far and, of course, discuss in length the redevelopment plans for Fratton Park coming up in the next couple of seasons or so. OK, coming up here on Express FM tonight, your rest of your evening looks like this. Conor Mosley is back with the Express Floor Fillers between 7 and 11 o'clock this evening. Connor invites you as a VIP to Portsmouth's biggest party on a Friday night. DJ Turner James is back in the mix from 11 through to the early hours of Saturday morning with even more great floor fillers to see you into the weekend. And then Ian McGuinness is back with Saturday breakfast tomorrow morning between 8 and 11. He's got news, weather, travel, sport and a uh, 4 from 440 as well from 1985 a pudding around in top five and a moody, movies update with John Brown as well. Lily Park is back between 11 and 2 and then you've got the victory years between 2 and 4 with Ian James and if you missed tonight's episode or you just want to listen back to it, it'll be replayed tomorrow afternoon between 4 and 5 o'clock. Until Monday night Pompey fans, have yourselves a great and a safe weekend and uh, yeah, stay safe and play at Pompey. Good night. <laughs>